Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Channel 127. Welcome to Progress After Dark. Good evening to everybody out there on the West Coast driving home in your vehicles. Hello to everybody else in the Middle and the East Coast. Welcome to Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right wing bubble. I'm John Fugel saying here. In Manhattan, New York City, Thea is producing us from Brooklyn. Chris, our executive producer, is being executive in production like down in South Carolina. And for the next couple hours, we're going to be with you right here on Channel 127 at 866-997-4748. We would love to hear from you. I want to um, uh, play this for you really quick. Listen to this clip of Donald Trump's answer to a question at an Iowa campaign stop. And I just want you to ask, and you're welcome to call us if you want, uh, does he understand what the question was even about? I'd like to know um, how you can help us in Iowa save our farmland from the CO2 pipeline. Yeah. Well, you know we're working on that, and you know we had a plan to totally... Uh, it's such a ridiculous situation, isn't it? But we had a plan, and we would have instituted that plan, and it was already. But uh, we will get it back. If we win, that's going to be taken care of. That will be one of the easy things we do. What? What? He has no idea. He has, he no, has idea. no idea what he's talking about. No idea what he's talking about. Please, please, just start asking him more difficult questions just to see how he answers them. He will stop the CO2 pipeline. <laughs> and the CO1 and the CO3 as well. Uh Jeez Louise, he has no idea what she means. He vaguely claims to have a plan for doing it, and he's allowed to get away with that. Okay. This is why they only go on Fox, folks. This is why Ron DeSantis has never done an interview with anyone in his campaign outside of the bubble until just this week, because hard questions are hard. We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. What have we come to when a Donald Trump word salad isn't enough to fool people? Let's go to the phones, shall we? Michael in the Bronx, you've been so patient. What a pleasure to have you with us tonight. Ah, Sean, I thought you forgot about me, buddy. Not at all, sir, not at all. Thank you so much for hanging in there. Yes, so so ironic. You played Donald Trump. Look at all the crap that is going down now. It's just a matter of time for those indictments on January 6th to come down. And And may there be a lot of them, by the way. May there be a lot of them. We already saw indictments yesterday in the state of Michigan for the fake electors. I'm not just wanting to see Donald Trump take a fall on this. I want to see everybody who tried to steal our democracy, because so far it's been low-level regular people, the January 6th protesters, then the fake electors. we got to aim a little higher. I think it's working up because it becomes all... 
far if it's in a circle, if you want, if that is the term for it. I mean, those fake electors. I'm hearing um, reports that conservatives, you know, the right wing pundits, are saying, "Well, there was nothing illegal about that. Nothing illegal." But there was one major word that was repeated in the reports, and even legal experts kept talking about it. You know what that word is? What's that? Fraud. <laughs> and everybody knows damn well fraud is a crime. So right wingers, don't tell me this bullshit about nothing illegal about fake electors, especially since they're going to meet secretly in some kind of basement of a damn building and all that stuff. I mean, come on. We were not born yesterday. And you're talking to Michael S.W. from the Bronx, (laughs) the dedicated foe of bullshit. Now, moving on to now, moving on to Trump. And he thinks he can try to um, lean the scales of lean on the scales of justice and trying to control the courts. You know, we already referred to the GOP justices on the Supreme Court as a, yes. as the Sinister Six. I already mm-hmm. introduced you to that. And then now he's trying to make nice with Eileen Cannon. Right. You know, trying to make sure she he, rules. He, he doesn't need to make nice favor. with her. He's, he's already got her in his corner. I mean, but, yeah, what have we come to, Michael? Other... What, what have we come to that, that a president can go on trial for trying to overthrow democracy under a judge he gave the job to? Like, how can this woman not have to recuse herself in this case? She's literally adjudicating the future of a man who hired her for the job. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking, because I hope Jack Smith is taking notes of that. Perhaps he needs to file additional charges against Trump on trying to, again, what's that word, subvert the courts, and then at the same time, file legal action against Cannon who was already yep. skating on thin ice by the yeah. Court of Appeals and other higher-up courts. I mean, it's going to be I interesting so- seeing what she does. It'll be very interesting what she does. Does she, does she care about her place in the history books, or does she care about making the Federalist Society happy? We'll see how she presides over and, this. And I'm, and I'm sick and tired of Trump making a, going around like he's untouchable. Like, what the hell is he thinking? He's going to walk around with McFadden and Whitehead, rest their souls, and their song ain't ain't no stopping us now. Bullshit. Yeah, well, that's They'd been be his entire life, Michael. That's right been now. his entire life. He's walked through the raindrops his entire life. He's failed and failed and had so many bankruptcies. He was indicted with his father for racism by the Nixon administration 50 yep. years ago. Imagine being too racist for Nixon. What is that even like? And every time, because he has been protected by his celebrity, by his inherited wealth, and then by the politics, he's been able to get away with it. I mean, this is the first and- time this wretched soul has ever faced anything resembling true accountability absolutely and look at and look at this key thing john when um he got the letter and they said he's a target in the investigation of january 6th do you do you realize i took special note of that no state said a target and not the target you want to know the significance of that remember right. how you and i had discussions that the other people in congress that act in concert, especially those that acquitted him in the um, in the impeachment yes. trial, and, and those one, that yes. worked so closely with him, like Jim Jordan, for example, yes. Yes. all those have been covering up for him. So who's to say that 
we will have some co-defendants in this. I kept saying to everybody, don't be surprised if we start having special elections because these rap bastards are finally facing the heat, facing the music, facing accountability, <laughs> and they're going to yank their asses off this. Yeah, heat. but you know how you know how Trump's going to handle that? Because uh, he has a plan. He has a plan. <laughs> That's all he said about the CO2 pipeline. Like, literally, he didn't understand the question. He just said, oh, it's ridiculous, isn't it? We're, we're going to have a plan. <laughs> well, here's the plan. that's all the audience requires him to say. Well, here's the plan, Mr. 45, Mr. Orange Terrorist. Prepare to pack your suits, your executive business suits, and prepare to change them and turn them over in exchange for orange jumpsuits. Fat boy's going down. Right on, man. Michael, have a great evening. Thank you very much for calling. Good night, Good to hear from you. Good night, sir. 866-997-4748. Hey, Scott in Arkansas, thank you so much for being patient. Uh, welcome. It's an honor to be on your program. Thank you, sir. Uh, I just wanted to visit with you a minute. Here Please. in Arkansas, as you know, it's, we're as red as it gets. Yeah. And, and I'm sort of a, you know, I'm, to these people, I'm a flaming liberal, when in fact I'm probably more to the middle left than, than anything else. I mean, to a lot of those folks, Bill Clinton was a flaming liberal. I get it. I, I really do. Yeah, I love the state. Yeah. It's a beautiful state. Well, thank you. I love it here, too. But I have to... One thing I've found that has gotten traction with a lot of my ultra right-wing friends is making a distinction between what a nationalist is and what a patriot is. Nice. The nationalist says, my country, love it or leave it. The patriot says, my country, love it and improve it. And I asked them, which one are you? Trump is a nationalist. John McCain was a patriot. John, John, uh, uh, what's the name of the Jack Smith? Is that the guy's name? Yes, sir. Uh, he, he's a patriot. Okay. They come in all political stripes. Okay. Patriots yeah. want to make America better. Nationalists I agree. don't. I agree. And it's, and, and our messaging at times, when I say us, us liberals, is, is, condescending and, and, and patronizing when we need to try to make these people think. I agree. Uh, if we're going to speak in terms of black and white, in terms of when I say black and white, I'm talking about shades, no shades of gray, then then these are the t- types of uh, rhetoric that we have to put in front of them. And I think I've been able to talk to a lot of these people, at least make them think yeah. about just what a terrible human being Donald Trump is. Okay, it's just a fact. how do you how do you uh, let me guess that you pro- you you probably do better one on one with them, right? Probably do better Absolutely. when it's a one on one conversation. Yeah, I've had the yeah. same experience. Yeah. And what attracts me to your show is you tell them in a Christian way you love them, love thy neighbor as thyself. God, and, you have to, and, and, and absolutely, and 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 that level of Christianity, that type of deep spiritual thinking, sometimes gets lost on them. They think Christianity following a bunch of rules it's dogma. i agree dogma well that and, is i mean but that isn't that that's what religion is i, I prefer faith yes, you're right i prefer right. god right. to men in dresses and funny hats you know what i mean i'll take jesus over his various unauthorized fan clubs yeah i agree completely and christianity is a state of of, of mind more than it is a, a following of doctrine and, and thou shall not I mean, the doctrines that are there, you know, if it's Christianity, I'm going by the Christ parts. And that is love the Lord with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and love your neighbors as yourself. I mean, Jesus was pretty specific on his rules. 
And the yeah. rules were, yeah. you don't get to hate anybody. And I have the same rule, because I have learned the hard way, that hate makes us stupid. And if we allow ourselves yeah. to hate the people that are our opponents, we will say and do stupid things and betray the better parts of our own character. Hate just brings out the That's worst fun. in everybody. And you can watch Fox News all day and see it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we don't use Christianity as a brand name to sell product or to, to do things, justify right. things by the name of Jesus. And, and, yeah, but, uh, but I, but I wish but Democrats already, would more. I wish Democrats would bloody well get right with God and start quoting the damn Bible because the conservatives act like they own God. I mean, religion acts like it owns God in many cases. You know what I'm talking about. Those certain kinds absolutely. of fundamentalists, Muslims, Jews, Christians who know that they own God, he's our property. But it's like if you're going by the Jesus guy, I'm sorry, the Democrats are nowhere close to being Christ-like, but they are light years closer to it on every issue than the Republican Party. And I will debate anyone on this and quote scripture all day. You can't follow Jesus and support the Republican Party agenda. They're not compatible right now. So the burden's on Democrats because Republicans have their racket. Democrats are letting them get away with it. Right. And that and you made my point for me. And I appreciate that. And, 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 and our Christianity is more about not just a pathway to the next life, but making this life better. And that's amen. And making it better for other people too. making it better for others. You know, not not what are you going to do for us? I hear all the time these mm-hmm. Christians. Why do you like Donald? Trump? He did stuff for us. He did stuff for us. No, motherfucker. That's the opposite of Christianity. What did he do for people who aren't you? And what did you do for people who aren't you? If your whole yeah. political agenda as a Christian is not to help the poor, help the sick, welcome the stranger, but to find out what a president's going to do to make me happy, bro, find a new name for your shitty, selfish cult, because Jesus is his take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for, you know, the, your, your show. Thank you, uh, sir. And, really and, honored. And and, uh, and 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 keep up the message that you deliver, along with when you have to come down on a collar and be <laughs> rough and tough and hard to bluff. I, you know, you, you also preface it though, and you end it with a positive note. And I want to try. You. I try once in a while, I, I, but I fail at that too. I get I get mad, and when I get mad, it's 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 no good. So I, I try not to because these are our relatives. We have, we know people like this. We can't let ourselves get seized with rage that, you know, makes us abandon our own character. I I have to fight for Republicans. I don't want Republicans to be buried under decades of student loan debt. I don't want Republicans to have to do a GoFundMe to pay for their surgery. I don't want Republicans to have their loved ones killed by an AR-15 round because some schmuck in their neighborhood should never have been allowed to own one. I root for Republicans to live long and have a healthy middle-class life and and, and do well. And they're not going to get that with more trickle-down economics. Amen. God bless. Thank you so much, Scott. All right. Thank you. I can't wait to see what happens with your governor and Donald Trump. That's getting ugly over there. I I, I think she's going to break up with him. I think she's breaking up with him. (laughs) I can't wait. Oh, my heart breaks for that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you, Scott. 866-997-4748. We are at 866-997-GRIT. I got to go to Sean and Callie because he's been on hold since the Franklin Pierce administration. Hi, Sean. Hey, Brother John. No, it's good. A great show. And when I can hang on, I hang on. You know, affirmative action. How about I go there? Okay. Because affirmative action. This has been a plan. And and yes, people, I'm mad since 2000, a little before, too, when we didn't understand the Supreme Court. Uh, We, meaning the voters, and I know some people don't like being blamed for being, oh, we didn't vote right. But no, yes, we need to take personal responsibility for that. 
But yeah. the affirmative action uh, case that has just happened and the reason why the Republicans wanted to get rid of it is yeah. very simple and no one's talking about it, Tell which me. is that black families have been in all these Ivy League institutions, all these Stanford private, all these private schools where you are almost guaranteed, you know, uh, a really good job. And they have legacy. See? Yes. So now they yes. want to get rid of legacy because black folks have legacy. That's the key. That was the whole key to the reason why they were getting rid of affirmative action in the first place. And it's disgusting. But this is what, you know, I get so yeah. infuriated about how we don't understand the importance of the Supreme Court. Right now, it is absolutely politicians in robes. Now, I yeah. thought it's been politicians in robes for a long time. But that aside, if you're a good politician, the Democrats aren't trying to take away rights. They're not trying to take away freedoms. No, the Supreme Court, not. because we weren't on it, they took away a lot of freedoms, and they'll continue to do so until we win elections. And, and I know it's very simple, and no one likes to hear it. We've got to win. Otherwise, we can just be a debating club. You're right. You're right. I, I, everything. I'm doing the wave over here. I know. And, and again, I do believe that if you talk to our conservative brothers and sisters one-on-one, -on -one, that you can find common ground. But you yes. know, think about men. Think about men. You, you got a man on his own. You can find the humanity. You put a couple of guys there, and the IQ drops. You know what I'm saying? The more men are in a group, the lower the cumulative IQ gets. Yeah, and I, I've talked to a lot of people. I know they look at the world differently than me just in the last year plus because of science. And I know they think, they think you know, the Democratic Party is against this and against that. But right now, John, we are at the cutting edge of all kinds of scientific discovery. And actually, a lot of it's already been discovered. And so then you have to ask the moral question, uh, or, you know, who gets access to it? Well, this is the thing that ticks the, me the fuck off because, um, you know, the tax code is corporate welfare. All yes. rich people will have access to all the cutting edge science to help their families. And we talked and about Democrats you know, say this and Democrats first. say this, but Democrats never get the message across for decades. They That's haven't right. been able to get the message through. That's right. And so what I this is what I'm trying to say is, is you have to be a fighter and you have to be forceful because, you know, go ahead and say, look, do you want all the rich motherfuckers to have access to things that all people should have access to? Or you're not moral. You're not decent. You're greedy. You're a fucking yes. greedy motherfucker. And if you just want to say you're greedy, at least I can respect that. At least I can respect that. But when you try to get a Marjorie Trader Green who believes this shit is real, and she she doesn't know anything, she's dumb as a post. But all the rich people who fund her, they know that climate change is real. They know there's all this cutting-edge science going on. They know they just want to monetize it and keep it to themselves and make it very expensive for all the rest of us fucking quizlings. I shouldn't say quizlings because uh, I don't want <laughs> yes. to overturn the government. But what I'm yes, saying you is... You are, not, you are not a quizling. 
but we can, it could be in reverse is what I'm trying to say is Dean said the other day, would we ever follow someone to overturn the government? Well, if it ever gets to the point where all these people are, you know, having access to things that our children can't have access to. Yeah. And it would be wrong too. This is the problem. We don't win elections. And then all of a sudden we're complaining about, you know, people storming, uh, the Capitol, but we lost so many elections. Yeah, I, I think the problem, but I think the problem is deeper than that. I think the problem is that Democrats do win elections, and then many Democrats stop fighting the day after election day. You know what I'm talking about. There is plenty of Democrats yes. in the House and Senate who are fighters and who keep it up every day, but there's plenty in the Congress, and let's be honest, plenty of voters who say, I showed up, I voted for the less fascist, more progressive, more humane candidate, and now, uh, oh, let me go watch Friends reruns. You know what I'm saying? Like, the only thing that works, the only way you get progress in this country is to vote for progressives and then kick their asses every day that they're in office to make sure they are legislating this on, on the same promises they ran on. Because sadly, being a senator is a fucking good gig. I mean, think about it. Gig. If you don't have gig. any morals or anything, you don't even have to fucking, you know, sh- you, you show up and you vote, and then no one hears from you for three or four months. And they yep. go on vacation and do their fucking thing. The House of Representatives, if you're not in power, if you're not in the majority, you know, the people in the minority, they're fucking doing their own thing, trying to get reelected. It's a bad system. But this is our system, sadly. So I'm just saying don't lose anymore because I don't want to be that person that has to say, you know, I have to take Donald Trump out because right let's on. not do that again. Let's not fuck up again, people. It's a I very you, simple calculation. But I get fired up, John, but I love your show. Great, Thank great you, show. And keep it up, brother. Keep rocking, man. Have a great evening. We're going to take a quick one when we come back. It is our interview with the senator from Minnesota, Senator Tina Smith. It's a great conversation. Don't miss it. We'll be right back. This is Sirius XM Progress. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Dot edu slash podcast. 
Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. Welcome back. I am so excited to welcome this next guest. We've we've had a lot of United States senators on this program, but I have tried for a long time to get Tina Smith booked. She is the United States junior senator from Minnesota, previously the lieutenant governor of Minnesota, one of the strongest voices in your country defending abortion rights. She's the only senator who worked at Planned Parenthood, and she has been a straight-up hero on clean energy, fighting police brutality, better access to AIDS medications, organized labor, LGBTQ equality, the child tax credit, Senator Smith wrote some of the climate provisions in what would become the Inflation Reduction Act. And, of course, she was one of the proud yay votes for the American Rescue Plan, the Infrastructure Plan, the Inflation Reduction Act, and the Chips and Science Act. What a pleasure to welcome Senator Tina Smith to SiriusXM. Hello. Well, hello, John. Boy, you know, listening to all of that, it makes me tired just listening to all of that. That's fantastic. I I so appreciate that warm introduction. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I feel like I'm rattling off your resume and I have to continue because congratulations. The Urban Indian Health Confer Act is something that's so wonderful that you have worked on and it just passed the Senate. I am so thrilled at your devotion to our First Nation citizens living in urban areas. And it's amazing. We know the government has a long way to go to live up to its promises to Native peoples. But this act seems like it can really begin providing better health care because there are indigenous people living in our cities. Well, I'm so glad that you pointed that out. I really appreciate that. You know, um, the federal government has uh, trust and treaty responsibilities to uh, indigenous people of this country that is tied directly to their inherent sovereignty that does not come from the Constitution, though the Constitution recognizes it. And part of that is to provide health care in exchange for all of the land that Native people gave up. The federal government said, we're going to make sure that you have housing and health care. Yet today, uh, Native people, if you look at how much money goes into the Indian Health Service, it is pennies on the dollar, literally compared to what we spend per capita on Medicaid and on Medicare and on veterans health care. So what we did with this Indian Confer Act, understanding that many Native people live in urban areas as part of the federal government policy to move people into urban communities and lose touch with their um, with their culture and their way of life. Um, There is a real challenge getting access to health care in urban communities. So the Urban Indian Confer legislation, which passed last night, uh, eventually says to the federal government, you must confer with those Indian health providers in urban areas to make sure the same kind of consultation that we require um, needs to be happening for Native people living in urban areas. It's a big deal. Amen. And let me just praise you again for your work on reproductive rights, Senator, because I think your time working at Planned Parenthood gave you more perspective than anyone 
in our government about the effects these restrictions, which are not based in the Bible, have on women's lives. The Dobbs decision has shown the contrast between Democrats and Republicans is as stark as ever. And you were one of the people last year who introduced a bill to protect access to medication abortion, the Protecting Access to Medication Abortion Act. I think you were very precedent, Senator, after what we saw happening this year in Texas, where now even medication abortion, the safest and most popular kind, is now on the table for the chopping block. It's very true. We see, um, well, I mean, you could just see how what uh, the, you know, the, the rhetoric coming out of the Republican Party um, post Dobbs decision was this is a decision about access to abortion that should be made at the state level. Now, my view having worked at Planned Parenthood and having seen firsthand the capacity of people to make good decisions, the best decision for themselves and their families about abortion is that that decision should rest solely with individuals. Um, Yet what we have a year after Dobbs is state legislators, legislative bodies uh, stripping away abortion rights, basically putting in place um, practical bans on abortion all across the country. And then we have this federal court decision coming out of Texas, which would repeal the approval of the F- that the FDA has given to medication abortion, which, as you say, is over 20 years proven safe and effective. So what my legislation would do and what we need to do is to put into law that protection that medication abortion will be available to people, no matter who the president is, no matter what happens, you know, at the federal level. We have so much work to do, don't we, to return to get back to the core value, which is that every person should have the freedom to decide for themselves about their own bodies and their own lives, including about abortion. And that is what we have to be pushing towards. To me, that is a deeply conservative point of view as well as a progressive point of view. And I'm 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 still shocked that more of our conservative brothers and sisters, even the libertarians, aren't coming down on that side. Since Roe has been overturned, of course, they've been very busy. And we've seen in many of the states exponential increases in women seeking abortions out of state. Senator, you had the best tweet. You wrote, if you're in Iowa and need an abortion, you can always come to Minnesota where you are free to make your own decisions. That's what neighbors are for. It's a very beautiful sentiment, and uh, I appreciate it as a well-intentioned guy, but I don't have to tell you, there's a lot of states right now starting to try to institute bounties on women who actually leave the state. This is supposed to be small government conservatism, and it just seems like it it can't stop. No matter what promises they make, they're going to keep on going until they control women's bodies. Well, that is I think that word control is absolutely the right word. And I agree with you, uh, the freedom to be able to decide for yourself about what happens to your own body is the most American of values. And yet we see people under the Republicans under the guise of conservative values basically attempting to strip that freedom away and to have um, legislators and judges who have never walked in the steps of those women who don't know anything about the lives of those women feeling like they should be the ones who make those decisions. And, you know, this is kind of something that um, women in this country have been dealing with and women all over the world, frankly, have been dealing with for, you know, since, um, since the very beginning. And um, but it's up to us. It is up to us now to you know fight for that core value and to fight for it in the elections in elections and at the ballot box and in state legislatures and um, here in Congress. 
Amen. I mean, this is a, an activist Supreme Court that has no accountability, expanding gun rights, taking states' rights away to have gun safety laws, revoking reproductive freedoms, siding with the polluters every chance they get. What is the solution, Senator? Is it is it get rid of the filibuster or do we need to really have the serious talk about adding more seats to the Supreme Court? Well, this court is too political and too powerful. And it has happened because over many decades, uh, right wing and uh, corporate interests have captured this court, um, including through the work of our former president, who put three of these conservative members on the court, an individual, you know, a former president who lost the popular vote and who yes. basically has the court. So I am in favor of expanding the number of Supreme Court justices that we have on the Supreme Court. It's important to understand that this is an authority uh, that the Constitution gives the Senate. It allows the Senate the power to decide how many Supreme Court justices we should have. And over the years of our country, that number has ebbed and flowed. And I believe that we need to use that authority to restore balance to the Supreme Court. And it also just makes sense because over time, we have nine Supreme Court justices. Over time, the work of the Supreme Court has increased um, dramatically. There are 13 circuit courts and federal circuit courts in our country. We should have one Supreme Court justice for every one of those circuit courts, restore Amen. balance. We need to, the, the, the level of sort of trust that people feel in the Supreme Court has plummeted um, because of these radical decisions that they have handed down. And we need to act on that. If you see something is broken, you need to then be willing to take the next step and figure out how to fix it. And the Supreme Court is broken. Senator, are any of your conservative colleagues um, in the Senate privately appalled at Senator Tuberville? and his antics and this performative cruelty he's doing against our troops? What Senator Tuberville is doing is just unconscionable. He is saying to women who serve our country, they have chosen to serve our country, and they are uh, posted in a state where abortion has been banned or severely curtailed, and they need an abortion. Senator Tuberville is saying that that we cannot even provide for that individual to travel to a place where um, reproductive health care can still be provided to them. It is the worst kind of political stunt, but of course it has dramatic impacts, not only on service members and their families, their dignity, their health, their ability to exercise their autonomy while they're serving our country, but it also has serious impacts on, on our military readiness and our national security. Imagine what you would be thinking if you're trying to decide whether you wanna re-up for another period of time and serve in the military or whether you wanna enlist, whether you wanna go to officer's training school and you're saying, gosh, I mean, why would I expose myself to that kind yeah. of politicalization of, of my own health care while I am serving our country at the same time? But you're absolutely right, John. This is on the Republicans in the Senate to hold Senator Tuberville accountable for what he is doing over well over 100 promotions of people all throughout the service. And uh, that has not yet happened. And it is terribly disappointing. Senator, I want to shift gears really quickly and ask you a bit about police brutality and the beautiful city of Minneapolis, which I love so dearly. You spoke beautifully on the floor of the Senate after the murder of George Floyd. And it's honestly hard to believe it's already seven years since the killing of Philando Castile. Um, when the DOJ put out their report detailing the results of their patterns and practices investigation of the Minneapolis Police Department, you put out a great statement acknowledging 
that the department has engaged in longstanding practices that deny people their rights under the Constitution. You also took pains to express a lot of care and sympathy for the challenges facing the decent officers of the MPD. You've done a great job of holding their feet to the fire while still acknowledging that there are police who are working to be a part of the solution. Senator, how how do we as a people get to the bottom of this systemic racism in policing. I was thrilled when Joe Biden talked about it in his convention speech, but how does one begin to root out white supremacists or at least get rid of the systemic discrimination? Well, part of it is what the Department of Justice has done and what I um, hope and pray the city of Minneapolis um, will do and has taken steps toward. Um, I really commend the Department of Justice for their detailed and thorough investigation into the pattern and practice of systemic discrimination and um, denying people um, their civil rights in the city of Minneapolis, and especially black and brown people, Native American people, and people living with mental health challenges. I think that the folks in Minneapolis, I've lived in Minneapolis since, you know, for well, you know, nearly well over 30 years. This pattern and practice investigation that the Department of Justice did laid bare what we have known about this department for a long, long time. And now we have to take steps to make amends. And it's going to be hard work. You can't just say we're going to change this policy over there or we're going to implement new training over here. You have to take a systemic look to root out this culture of denying people, black and brown people in particular, their civil rights. I am cautiously optimistic that Minneapolis is starting to walk down this path. And as I said, I worked at the city of Minneapolis and I work closely with the police department where I know there are many fine officers, but you cannot look at this and say, oh, this is just one or two bad apples. You know, that way of solving the problem will not work because it is the entire institution of the police department in Minneapolis that is contributing to this pattern and practice that that needs to be um, resolved. But, you know, what do you do about it? The first thing is you have to be you have to see it. If you will pardon me, you have to be awake to it. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> How dare know. you, madam? How dare dare you talk about the woke mind virus on my show? <laughs> um, and then you have to be willing to take the steps uh, to address it. And um, I'm I'm very hopeful and optimistic that um, that process is underway in the city that I love so much and has so much work to do to address systemic racism. Senator Smith, I thank you so much for joining us. I know you have a crazy schedule. On behalf of everyone I've ever loved with HIV, I want to thank you and our friend Adam Schiff for reintroducing the PrEP Access and Coverage Act, which is wonderful. Thank you so much for fighting for Americans who don't always have a place at the media table. What is the best way, Senator, for our listeners to follow you and keep up with your work and what your office is doing? Well, the best way would be to you can follow me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. And I'm on the new (laughs) threads. Um, I'm on the new threads uh, platform and you can just um, search on search for me there. And of course, you can just go also go online if you want to communicate with us directly through my office. uh, You can go online, too, and find my Senate office. I'd love to hear from you. Senator, I have so admired the way you've handled this job and the way you've looked out for your constituents and for all Americans, uh, especially us, because we're really happy to have you here. Thank you so much and have a great week. Thanks a lot. I'll see you soon, I hope. I hope so. Come back anytime. Peace. We'll be right back. (music) 
Welcome back. I am so excited to welcome my next guest. He's a Democratic policymaker who actually manages to excite and inspire smart, moral people. Uh, Carlos Guillermo Smith made history when he became the first LGBTQ Latino lawmaker elected to the Florida House of Representatives just a few months after the preventable tragedy at the Pulse nightclub in 2016. He represented District 49, which covered the University of Central Florida area. And in the House, he fought for LGBTQ rights. He fought for gun safety, protections for immigrants. And now he has filed to run for the Florida Senate in 2024. He's just been endorsed by the president of the Central Florida AFL-CIO, who said Carlos is the best option to represent working families in Central Florida with nearly 10,000 union members in SD7. We hope to send a strong message that organized labor stands firmly with Carlos, just as he has stood with us. That's the kind of quote I want to hear more Democrats bragging about from organized labor, which still exists in this country. What a great pleasure to welcome Carlos Guillermo Smith to Sirius XM. Thank you for having me, John. Much appreciated. Thank you, sir. What a great pleasure. I was saying before in the break, you are not just a Democrat in Florida. You're you're a true progressive. You're a real believer. You're you're keeping it very real. My dad tried being a hardcore progressive in Florida and it wasn't easy. I see the Republican Party in your beautiful state is beginning to have their buyer's remorse with Ron DeSantis. And it seems like there's an exciting new Florida Democratic Party cooking up with the new chair, our good friend Nikki Freed. Uh, let me just begin by asking what what should our listeners know? about the current state of party politics in Florida? Well, I think right now what you're seeing is certainly a lot of frustration from folks. You talked about buyer's remorse, buyer's remorse in that Governor Ron DeSantis was reelected to another four-year term, that a super majority was sent to both the Florida Senate and the Florida House, which they did absolutely nothing with except really advanced divisive politics. They played culture wars, they turned our classrooms into political battlefields, which worsened our massive teacher shortage that we have in the state of Florida. And they didn't even solve real problems. And, you know, I'm proud that you introduced me as a progressive in Florida. You know, I re represented an area of East Orlando for six years in the state house. And what did being a progressive mean for me? You know, John, it really just meant standing for something. It yeah. meant being driven by unifying principles like freedom, equality, respect for all human beings, and actually being willing to stand up for those fundamental freedoms when they're under attack by a legislature that wants to solve problems that don't exist. But you know what I'm also seeing right now, John, on the ground is we're seeing hope in Florida of all places, hope that we actually can elect people who care about people and also hope that we may be able to make a difference on the ballot in 2024. And I'm going to tell you why, John, because we if we do things right and things continue to happen on the ground as we expect them to happen, we're going to be able to protect abortion rights on the ballot in Florida in 2024. We're going to be able to legalize cannabis for responsible adult use. We're going to be able to protect Floridians' access to clean water. That on top of sending people like Congressman Maxwell Frost, the first Gen Z member of Congress representing Orlando back to Congress, sending me to the Florida Senate, sending other progressive champions like Representative Anavi Eskamani. That really inspires yes. people, and that's giving folks hope. 
Um, I, I agree with everything you said, except you don't give the Republicans enough credit for all their work against uh, uh, the woke mind virus, sir. The, the woke mind virus is on the run, <laughs> thanks to the hard work. The schools, not so much, but the woke mind virus has been addressed. Um, you mentioned Anna uh, Eskamani. She was just on our show a couple of weeks ago. She's a really exciting public servant as well. I'm curious, are you involved with uh, the big strike back summer movement going door to door in the state to get people registered and excited to uh, vote for politicians who care about non-millionaires. Absolutely. Well, and I'm glad that you mentioned Strike Back Summer, which is basically the tagline for how we're organizing people on the ground in Florida to strike back against those who have taken away our fundamental rights and freedoms. So what we're doing is we're knocking door to door. We're certainly collecting petitions for abortion access on the ballot, but also what we're doing is we're joining forces with other like-minded candidates on the ground to get our names on the ballot. People like myself, people like Representative Anna V. Eskamani, people like Stephanie Vanos, who's running for school board here in Orange County, which we know has become the front lines of so many of these battles that we're seeing, uh, these culture wars, uh, the politicization of our classrooms that have hurt our kids and hurt our teachers, we've realized that by unifying forces, by working with other like-minded candidates on the ground, we can really be more effective in being able to to mobilize people and also utilize the, the few resources we might have in a state like Florida when maybe the National Democratic Party wants to look elsewhere. Exactly. I mean, that's why it's so exciting to watch this transformation begin. The rest of the world watches your beautiful state and you know what we see. We see your uh, morally mediocre governor um, using covid money to fly legal migrants out of Texas to burden the Republican governor of Massachusetts with them. Performative cruelty that helps nobody. We see the don't say gay bill, which allows any Yahoo to sue any teacher or any school district. If anyone says anything they don't like, uh, we see the same thing with the Stop Woke Act, which pretty much is a white fragility act, meaning any child of any racist has a parent who's offended by anti-racism can sue. And you just tweeted how one in six central Floridians live and work in poverty. One half of those make less than 32,000 per year. Your state has real economic challenges, and we see your governor running around doing this performative cruelty and, I guess, building more convention centers, because that's the solution, right? Well, yeah, and and these are real problems that have to be solved. We have folks in in Orlando in the area that I uh, am running to represent and where I live that are rent burdened, meaning they pay tremendously more than 30% of their income on housing every single month. And they, and they're being rent gouged by corporate landlords. You have folks that do own their home that are losing their property insurance because our property insurance market collapsed because the Florida legislature didn't do anything to create a robust property insurance market in Florida. Instead, they squandered the time that we had expanding, don't say LGBTQ, all the way to 12th grade, uh, passing a six-week abortion ban, taking away uh, gender-affirming care, which is Mm life-saving care not only for youth, but also for real adults, which proves that these attacks are not about kids. Uh, It's just about trying to marginalize trans folks and turning their right to exist into a political debate. John, it would be easy for me to just dismiss this as a distraction, as we often do with the culture wars. And don't get me wrong. They are distractions from real economic problems that people are having in the state that go unaddressed by the DeSantis legislature. But the culture wars are also ruining people's lives. 
when you pass the most draconian immigration laws in the country, what you've also done is you have scared the labor market uh, out of the state of Florida. You have separated families. You've disrupted the labor force. When you pass laws that make it a crime for trans folks to use restrooms in government buildings or take away their health care or send ugly messages about who LGBTQ people are, as they did with Don't Say LGBTQ, you're, right. you're actually putting people in a place where they feel like they have to leave the state of Florida for fear of persecution. I stay here because I care about my state. I love my state. I love my community. And I'm not willing to give up on it here in the state of Florida. And that's why I'm running for state Senate. I worry about people in your state with this terrible weather right now. As as you know, the state hasn't done much to protect outdoor workers. And as the heat gets more deadly and the governor denies the actual science, I know that when you were in the House, you fought to give workers the right to water and shade and, and, and breaks from the heat. Is it true that currently there's no state regulations of any kind in all of Florida to address heat related stress? That's right. Florida is the sunshine state, uh, and we should be leading on issues related to protecting our outdoor workers. We have a moral obligation to do this. And yet still in the state of Florida, outdoor workers uh, do not have the right to water, the right to shade, the right to take breaks after they are working in periods of intense heat. And when I'm talking about intense heat, I'm talking about heat advisories that have been issued in certain parts of Florida this summer where uh, temperatures are exceeding 95 degrees. And when you factor in the humidity, you factor in what it feels like on the ground. We're seeing temperatures exceeding 100 degrees, 105, sometimes 110 degrees. And our workers who are not only working in agriculture, but working in so many other different professions outdoors imagine how they feel and this is why we know we have to do more to protect our workers because it's actually a matter of life and death we have seen uh, especially in agriculture uh, many workers who have suffered heat related injuries some unfortunately have died um, due to that heat exhaustion and that exposure because safety protocols were not followed And they didn't have the right to water and shade while working in periods of intense heat outdoors. This is Florida. We've got to do more to protect our workers from that heat stress. The oceans are boiling, John, Mm -hmm. boiling right around the state of Florida. And we're seeing a coral bleaching, which is going to have uh, a domino effect, certainly on the surrounding ecosystem, uh, which is why we need people in the state legislature uh, who are willing to stand up and do something about climate change uh, to make yeah. Florida a state that uh, is finally a neutral when it comes to emissions, uh, that we have a state that actually incentivizes the use of EV vehicles not uh, a state that has a governor that vetoes incentives for local governments to purchase electronic vehicles as governor ron DeSantis has done so uh, there's people who actually care about these issues that care about people that are not represented by what we see coming out of governor ron DeSantis and the supermajority. and i see that those people are going to be striking back at the polls we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back after this 
Welcome back. You know, I'm curious, before you ever served in the Florida House, you worked on behalf of Equality Florida, and you were at the Capitol, and you worked deeply on finding compromise with Republican lawmakers who you would later serve with initially on the issue of um, the controversial uh, bill HB 43, the, the Pastor Protection Act, which was about clergy that wanted to legally refuse to participate in same sex marriage, even though Jesus was never homophobic even once. I'm very curious, what was your experience like? And, and that, that's my big hang up. I'm the child of two ex-Catholic clergy and the Christian homophobes are what makes me crazy. But I'm curious, based on that experience, what did it teach you about the way compromise is essential for any kind of progress in civics, especially in a place like Florida? Well, what it taught me is the importance of bipartisan work in the Florida legislature. I've been tremendously successful during my time in the legislature as a lawmaker, but also as an advocate outside of the, the process, uh, trying to work with lawmakers to mitigate the damage of you know, some of these really bad, really bigoted and discriminatory pieces of legislation. I found some success early on, but there is a critical ingredient of bipartisanship that is required for it to be successful. The other side has to be willing to listen to our concerns and to be able to hear how these bills are impacting others and work with us to try to mitigate the unintended consequences. When you have a super majority, an extreme majority like we have that has been so hell bent on marginalizing transgender folks, yes. on using the LGBTQ community to prop up Ron DeSantis's campaign for governor so that they can score right. political points. They have no interest in engaging in bipartisanship, which has given us very little to work with in the Florida legislature. It's why mm -hmm. folks have to organize on the ground in Florida to break that supermajority. We're not going to be able to become the majority, certainly overnight. The Democrats in Florida, we have a lot of work to do, but there are real gains that can happen in the 2024 cycle if we're smart, if we replicate some of the successes that happened in Jacksonville in the last couple of months, where in a traditionally red county in Florida, Democrats were able to elect a Democratic mayor in Jacksonville. We were That's able right. to win every competitive seat right there in Duval County in a traditionally conservative area of the state. And I feel like there's momentum that is coming back towards the Democrats, not only because we've smartened up, but also in response to the extremism that has been exposed in the last legislative session and exposed on the campaign trail with Ron DeSantis running for president. Exactly. I mean, when we talk about how much or how little power Democrats have in the Florida legislature, I just have to imagine what if every hardworking, lower income person, what if every jaded, apathetic Floridian and what if every young person in Florida started voting? I mean, it really doesn't seem like the Democratic Party is unpopular per se. It just seems like it, it's the problem so many states have. It's low turnout, low turnout. And we have to make sure that the Democratic Party continues to align ourselves with those popular issues that have made it to the ballot. You know, for example, a few years ago, there was a ballot initiative to raise the minimum wage in Florida 
to yes. $15 per hour. This is something that I supported very vocally uh, and was a big part of helping get across the finish line in Florida. But a lot of Democrats didn't embrace the $15 minimum wage oh, for know. one reason or another. Well, guess what? 62% of Floridians supported it, and it is now part of our state's constitution. This is the same electorate that elected Governor Ron DeSantis twice. So you can see there, if we embrace the values of working people, embrace these economic issues that have been a part of our democratic platform for so long, raising wages, having good benefits for our workers, making sure that uh, that we address the rising cost of living. Florida is an inflation hotspot because the governor right. and the GOP supermajority have taken their eyes off the ball with these culture wars. We can... Uh, again, be successful in elections in the state of Florida and actually improve people's lives. I want to ask you something I, I always ask every member of the Democratic Florida legislature we, we have on the program, and that is, um, in your experience in the legislature, have you found that some of your Republican colleagues know this is crazy, that they're aware that there's literally Nazis with swastikas and DeSantis flags outside Disneyland, and this is not good for Florida, not good for the party, but they're just caught up in the MAGA madness and feel they have to go along with this wave? Have you have you encountered reasonable but terrified Republicans in that state legislature? Yes, and those are some of the most frustrating conversations that I have in the in the lunchroom, so to speak, in the Florida legislature with other members of the legislature you kind of see how they really feel and realize, wow, if folks only were running for public office and getting elected because they wanted to make a difference in people's lives and that they were independent thinkers who were going to have a backbone, who were going to stand up uh, yes. when they see injustices and call them out, we would be much better off. But that's not what we have with the Republican supermajority, many of whom know what they're doing is wrong know what they're doing is bad policy, but are not willing to speak up. They don't have the backbone to push back against it. And we need them to, especially now you see, you know, Florida is burning. We're seeing that. And I don't yes. just mean because of the heat. I mean, policy wise, you have property insurance is collapsing. We have conventions are canceling left and right from wanting to, uh, for example, come to Orlando and have their massive conferences here because of the political environment, because mm -hmm. of the bigotry that is being screamed out loud in the state of Florida. Uh, you have Disney pulled the plug on a $1 billion with a B economic right. development deal in the Senate district that I'm running in in Orlando because of their crazy. That's it. This is actually costing us economically and putting us in a very volatile position and impacting people in negative ways that they can really feel, especially as they're scrambling to find a property insurer that is willing to cover their property during this time, which is a real problem in Florida. And so hopefully that will be inspiration enough for people to finally have a backbone and speak out against this. From your lips, sir, I would I would love to see that happen. I recall that we saw that Ron DeSantis was sort of hiring his own little army. Uh, he said they, it's a revived state guard, he announced, with a, a non-military mission. We're going to just train you to help Floridians in times of disaster. And we learned from the Tampa Bay Times last week that veterans who joined have begun quitting 
because they've said that Ron DeSantis completely hoodwinked them and they've been given militia like training for combat for a governor. Uh, The bravery of these men, uh, and some of them are very young in quitting this and standing down, is very inspiring. But does this represent a a crack in DeSantis's armor in the state? Are people beginning to realize that maybe the woke mind virus isn't a good thing? These poll numbers aren't lying. Nazis at Disneyland isn't isn't that great. And do do you get the sense that finally people are beginning to wake up to the bill of goods they've been sold? Right. Exactly right. I get the sense that they are. And that example that you provided of this state militia that Governor DeSantis is trying to revive. uh, And we have veterans who are joining out of a sincere want to help our state, uh, help our state respond to natural disasters, for example, which is what the uh, the state guard is supposed to be meant for. But instead, it appears that maybe they're trying to arm this as like a state based militia that is right. going to do things that it was not intended to do. You see the governor out there talking about <laughs> how he's going to respond as president of the United States, for example, to the conflict in Ukraine, the day that he launched his his, his campaign, he said uh, the way he would respond to the conflict in Ukraine on Fox News, he said this was that he was going to get rid of radical gender ideology from the military. Yes. Somehow is the solution to the Ukraine conflict. Of course hey, bro, it is. I don't know if you, you realize <laughs> we don't have troops in Ukraine. Uh, what are you even talking about? Yesterday, he had a big campaign rally, as you mentioned, to announce his big military platform to rid the military of what? The, quote, woke mind virus. And, and drag, drag queens, queens, too. Drag queens in the military. Uh, that's that's affecting unit cohesion and readiness. Of course it is. Sure. Are these serious <laughs> policy recommendations and platform? But, I mean, it's kind they're, of embarrassing they're, when you read not, these but, headlines. But you must get it. I would imagine you get it better than anybody else, because we've entered this era of politics where let's use homophobia as an example, where where a politician needn't be uh, a hater of LGBTQ folks. But you can be a performative homophobe. You can pretend to be a homophobe because you believe that's how you get the GOP nomination. That's how you get the vote. At a certain point, it just seems like it's being well, the cruelty is the point, right? It's being as cruel as possible to marginalize peoples, (laughs) exactly the opposite of what Christianity is supposed to be, whether it's undocumented folks, whether it's asylum seekers who are here legally, whether it's trans kids who just want to use a bathroom they're comfortable with. I can't tell the bigots, sir, from the performative non-bigots who are gambling on hate, getting them elected while they do nothing for their constituents. You had a great post on Facebook where you talked about Ron DeSantis sending uh, sending law enforcement to Mexico. I didn't know Florida shared a border with Mexico. But you said, why are you defunding local police and sending them to the border? How does this help Florida? Who's paying? This is the kind of real talk, I think, that turns people on and Democrats and moderates and independents get excited when they see someone asking the right questions and putting up a fight. That's right. And when he squanders $15 million as he has already this year, uh, sending folks from Florida to go respond to what's happening on the border or to human traffic immigrants who Mm -hmm. have lawfully gone through the asylum application process to try to create a better life for themselves or their families, flying them from one state to the next in a political stunt. He's he's actually squandering limited taxpayer resources that we have that are 
needed right now for critical services. There's 22,000 Floridians with disabilities in Florida right now who are lingering on years long waiting lists for those services because we don't have the funding to enroll them in programs to help them live and work in their communities. 22,000, 40% of the people on that waiting list, people with disabilities have been on the waiting list for more than 10 years. But Ron DeSantis has $15 million in taxpayer money that he can just spend whenever he wants to deploy another political stunt to try to prop up his political campaign for president that doesn't actually help anyone. Exactly. Oh, can I ask about your your parents really quickly? Thank you for being so generous with your time. I know you were, sure. your dad was from your dad is from Peru and your mom was from Canada. You were the first member of your family to be born in the U.S. And I, I, I've wondered, did growing up in America, the child of two immigrants, did that increase your empathy? I mean, was that something that led you to be the kind of public servant you have tried to be? Uh, to to look out for the outsider, to look out for those who might be forgotten on the margins of society. Absolutely. And, you know, it has everything to do with the fact that I grew up in a multicultural background where I was surrounded by people from so many different countries, including many Latin American countries, many folks who are vilified in today's politics. Uh, But you know what also gave me that sense of empathy? You know, my mom uh, was an ESOL facilitator at the elementary school that I went to, meaning that it was her job to help students who didn't speak English as a first language be able to successfully learn English fully and be able to be successful in the school academically, uh, even while they're speaking a second language as home at home as their first language. And so, yeah. uh, you know, I'd come from a, uh, a family of, uh, of folks who are out there in the community being heroes, being servants. My older sister, Kathy is a Palm beach County fire rescue, my younger sister, Christine, is an OBGYN. My mom is a retired educator. My dad, a small business owner. I'm the politician, so I guess I'm the failure in the family <laughs> and the black sheep. But that's okay. I'm always striving to be a, a better person and be more like them. Well, that's uh, one of many reasons we're glad to have you here. Carlos Guillermo Smith is the former uh, state representative from District 49 in Florida. He is now running for the Florida State Senate. It's a very exciting campaign, sir. What is the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and the campaign itself? Well, they can go to carlosguillermosmith.com or they can follow me on all the socials at Carlos G. Smith, uh, where, you know, certainly I'm very active on there. So. Thank you very much, John, for having me. There is hope for Florida. We just got to continue to invest in the state and the candidates who really stand for the people. My God, my dad would have loved being able to vote for a man like you when he retired to Florida. Thank you so much for joining us, Representative. Hope to see you soon. Thank you, John. Thank you. 